Well, good morning. And I'm welcoming my, the online community and uh, my Kinsey South family. Uh, hello to everybody who is uh, with us this morning. We are a, uh, a large church and two campuses, and then who knows how far out the uh, online feed is going this morning. But we welcome everybody as we preach the Word of God and uh, seek to be formed by the Spirit more into Christ. So yeah, my name is Nathan Edwards, and I'm very excited to be part of the Colonial family. Uh, we've been here for about two years, but my grandparents were a big part of this church for decades, and the spiritual formation that they received when they were here uh, has been a, a generational blessing, uh, of which I count myself a recipient. And so uh, I have always been uh, appreciative of Colonial, and I'm so happy to be part of your family and uh, and to be on staff now with the exciting adventures ahead that we will have so uh jim has been uh, gone uh, for the summer and uh, we have three more weeks left and he decided uh to let the the new church plant guy take a crack at it and so i have three weeks and i'm going to be spending those three weeks uh, on the book or the letter of paul to philemon which is this short little letter in uh, almost the very back of your old Test your new testament it's uh, paul's smallest letter it's unique in that it is a letter written to an individual instead of a church and so it is a uh, a powerful letter that because of its personal nature we're going to find it is very direct to our Christian lives. The theme of Philemon is reconciliation in Christ. Uh, reconciliation in Christ is uh, what uh, Paul is seeking to accomplish in this letter because he is dealing with a personal conflict between two different individuals. And the thesis of Paul's letter is in verse 5, where, where Paul says these words, I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Paul is giving, writing those words to Philemon. So the, the ESV, which is what we read, follows the uh, order of the original language very closely. And you see that he speaks of love and faith. And then he has two objects, the Lord Jesus and all of the saints. And what's really interesting here is clearly faith applies to the Lord Jesus because we don't have faith towards the saints, which then means that the, the love applies to the saints. So then this verse does something brilliant at the very beginning. It ties in a tight knot our faith with the Lord Jesus and our love for all of the saints. It's, it's tied in a knot in that you have both of them kind of mashed and twisted together so that you really can't be living the Christian life, having faith in the Lord Jesus, and not have a strong experience of love for all of the saints. Those two, in Paul's mind, go hand in hand. So the big idea of this book and the idea of this series is that the work of reconciliation is a grace of God that releases our heart to love as Christ loved us. So the series title that we have is uh, going to be called Reconciled and Released. And that's the whole idea that when we experience our reconciliation, that releases us to love all of the saints with the ministry 
of reconciliation. And I have a, an image that I think captures what I'm wanting us to see as we go through this letter. So we have this beautiful door, and this door has three locking mechanisms on it. It has a chain, it has this bar across the bottom, and it has a keyhole. This door has been locked three times. Something terrible must be on the other side, right? Except that there's a window through that door and you can see a beautiful tree and maybe a countryside just on the other side. And so you're wondering what's out there. It looks, it looks beautiful. Outside on the other side of that door is, is a beautiful pasture with fresh, uh, the fresh smell of, of trees and birds chirping and all these wonderful things on the outside. But we're on a door that is locked three times, so we cannot get out there. This image is what I want us to think about as we think about the ministry of reconciliation. Because personal reconciliation is what unlocks this door to living out in the freedom and beauty of the gospel. The freedom and the life that God wants you to have in this world is through that door. But it has been locked when we do not practice personal reconciliation. So, let me ask you this. Do you feel like in your spiritual life, you've come up to a wall? Do you feel like your spiritual life is pressing against a door that you just can't open? You're not feeling the, the flourishing spiritual life that you've had in the past. You don't feel as, uh, as alive, as connected, as dialed in, as thriving in the Christian life as you would like. Do you, do you feel like you are just stopped let me ask you then another question do you have relationships in your life that need reconciliation do you have people in your life that need to hear the words I'm sorry or I forgive you or do you know two people who God by his providence has placed you between to bring together but you don't want to get involved See, the letter to Philemon would say, your struggles in personal reconciliation and the door that you seem to feel shutting your spiritual growth might be the same thing. And so Paul is going to be using the, the message of reconciliation over these next three weeks to help us unlock that door. So the book of Philemon, just a little introduction, was written by Paul probably... Uh, AD 60 to 62. He is in prison. Probably he's in the Roman prison that we uh, find him in at the end of Acts. So if you want to know a little bit more background, Acts 28 would be a good supporting chapter. And here's his situation. He has come into contact with this man Onesimus who has a conflict with Philemon who is a, a man who lives in Colossae, which is modern-day Turkey. So there's a lot of geographic distance between Rome and Colossae. And Paul somehow has got Onesimus who has a conflict with Philemon in front of him. And his uh, task is to write this letter on behalf of Onesimus to try and work reconciliation between these two people who are in conflict. 
So there's one conflict in this book, and there are three different roles. There's Onesimus. He's the guy in trouble. He is our peace seeker. Then there is Philemon. He is the one that has been wronged. He is our peace giver. And then finally, there is Paul, who is the friend of both of these individuals, and he is the peacemaker. So we have these three different roles, peace seeker, peace giver, and peacemaker. And here's a little hint. Those three roles are the keys that unlock that door. When we practice peace seeking, peace giving, and peacemaking, the three locks on that door fall away. So, today, we're going to focus on peace-seeking. We're going to look at seeking peace by looking at the story of Onesimus. And that means we need to read a little bit of this letter together. So please stand up and let us read from the book of Philemon. We're going to read uh, verses 1, verses 8 through 12, and verses 18 just to kind of set the stage. Let's read together. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your grace. We pray that your Holy Spirit would just be upon us as I preach and as this congregation listens, that we would uh, respond with the faith and the action that glorifies you. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. All right. So, Onesimus' story shows us that the gospel calls us to reconcile with the people we have hurt. That's not a big announcement that's pretty basic to the christian life but it's not easy right onesimus's story tells us how important it is to say the words i'm sorry and as i think about this message as i think about how important it is to say the words i'm sorry i really hope that my wife is listening <laughs> why did you laugh at that why did your uh, husband laugh? Why did your wife laugh? Why did everybody in the room laugh when they were thinking, yeah, I know somebody I want to hear the words of this message? See, there's an indication there in that chuckle, and that's that we think the person next to us probably has something worth saying I'm sorry about, which means there's probably a reason for each of us individually to pay attention, right? So, I want to pose this question, and I want, it, I want you to really wrestle with it. Who in your life needs to hear you say the words, I'm sorry? Is there a relationship that has gone cold? Are the arguments between you and someone just getting hotter and hotter? Is there just no peace 
in your life, is there someone that needs to hear from you the words, I'm sorry? I think probably all of us can think of one, maybe even several people. And yet we haven't said the words, I'm sorry. Why not? For some reason, the words, I'm sorry, are are hard words to say. And that's why we need the letter of Philemon. Because the letter of Philemon is going to take us with Onesimus through the three steps that he needs to go through to make a Christ-honoring apology. And the three steps that Onesimus needs to go through are the same steps that we need to go through as peace seekers who honor Christ. So let's overview real quickly what these three steps are going to be. The first step is we have to reject our rationalizations. Second, we have to receive his justification. And third, we have to repent by returning. Let's go and look at these steps in turn. First of all, we need to reject our rationalizations. So we come into the letter, we meet Onesimus. uh, He's first mentioned in verse 10 where Paul says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus. So this whole letter is a letter of apology that Paul is writing to help Onesimus. But how did Onesimus get to Paul? Onesimus gets to Paul because he took a long and strongly committed path of rationalizations. And we'll talk about that in just a second. What is the number one preventer of apologies? Anybody want to throw out an answer? Everybody says pride, right? Everybody says pride, and pride is the right answer, but we don't feel it as pride. The number one reason that we don't apologize is we think we're right. We don't think there's anything for us to apologize for. We didn't do anything wrong. We don't apologize because we are rationalizing our behavior as good and not worthy of I'm sorry. That is why... Apologies don't happen. Now, consider Onesimus. I'm going to share with you a detail that I've, I've left out. It's, it's kind of a biggie. Here's the, another element to our story. Uh, Onesimus is a runaway slave. And so the letter of Philemon is actually a letter for Onesimus, the runaway slave to go and apologize to Philemon, the slave master. Now that's backwards. The the slave who is running away, seeking his freedom, acting out of a heart that is probably driven by the justice that slavery should not exist is being told to go back and apologize to a slave owner? No, this does not feel right. It is really easy for us to join with Onesimus and rationalize that he has nothing to be sorry about. He has nothing to apologize. The bad guy in this story is Philemon. Paul should be writing a letter taking Philemon to task. You see, 
We rationalize. And Onesimus has a good case. It's not hard to join him in that adventure. Onesimus has clearly rationalized himself a great deal. Because to, to, to choose to be a runaway slave is to basically risk your life. There are no rights for a slave. And so when you decide to abandon your master and run away, you are accepting a capital sentence. And he said, that's worth it. Second, Onesimus goes from Colossae to Rome, which is 1,500 miles. You don't cover that much land by foot without a lot of strong sense that this is the right thing you're doing, right? And then add to that, you can't cross 1,500 miles in the first century overnight. This is a month, maybe a year-long journey before Paul meets Onesimus. So Onesimus has rationalized that it is right for him to have run away, and he's done it by great distance, and he's done it over great time. He has rationalized his situation. I mean, really, at this point, what is Paul doing telling Onesimus to return? I mean, is, 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 is Paul revealing to us that he's pro-slavery? Is this evidence, as people suggest from time to time, that the Bible supports slavery? No. As we get into this book, we are going to see that the book of Philemon, most especially, but not the only place in the Bible, but most especially, is a powerful case for abolition. In fact, the, 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 the effect of this little letter probably owes to the destruction and the, and the, the putting of slavery away in the past. That's its long-term effect. And so we, we do not have Paul being pro-slavery or pro-slave owner. We don't have that in the Bible. We have actually here a magnificent book of how the gospel dismantles the entire institution. So what? Why is Paul doing this? Well, there is something else in Onesimus' story. Go back and look at verse 18. Paul writes, If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything... Charge that to my account. This is a delicate way for Paul to say, I know Onesimus stole from you. I know Onesimus took some of your valuables. I know he took some of your money. He got into your purse. He is a thief. Now we can still rationalize, but at the end of the day, Onesimus, as right as running away may be in our mind, he still is not 100% blameless. He has still done something wrong. He, he ran away, but he sinned also in doing it. Right? So we have this situation where Onesimus, despite all of his rationalizations, is not 100% blameless. Like it or not, Onesimus does, have, does not have any case in the world. He will be guilty. He will be punished. And Paul knows that the only hope for Onesimus is for him to reconcile to Philemon. 
Now, Onesimus' case is pretty extreme, right? But what about ours? Do you rationalize? Do you choose to rationalize rather than apologize? I'm familiar in my own life with three pretty uh, classic ways to uh, rationalize. There's the um, excuse making. I'm the boss. I, I don't apologize. Bosses don't apologize. That's, that's my personality. Sorry it's so hard for you. My personality. Some people love it. There's, uh, there's minimizing minimizing so there's the uh, uh you're overreacting you are being way too sensitive wasn't that big of a deal or, or you could use the ones that my kids seem to use every time they're caught and they just look at me and they're like what like why is your daughter or why, why is why is your sister got a cut on her forehead what <laughs> somehow that answers every accusation and then there's the other one, blame shifting. And this is where we say, well, what you did was worse, right? It's not my fault, or at least it's not as much my fault as it is your fault. And that keeps us from saying the words, I'm sorry, a long time. Ken Sandy wrote a book on peacemaking called The Peacemaker, and he actually wrote about this uh, practice, and I'd like to share this quote with you. He says, when our wrongs are too obvious to ignore, we practice what I call the 40-60 rule. It goes something like this. Well, I know I'm not perfect, and I admit I am partially to blame for this problem. I'd say about 40% is the fault of mine. That means 60% of the fault is hers. Since she is 20% more to blame than I am, she should be the one to ask for forgiveness. By believing that my sins have been more than canceled by another's sins, I can divert attention from myself and avoid repentance and confession. Are we familiar with that tactic? What, what does Jesus think of that? Well, Jesus answers the rationalizer in Luke chapter 6, verse 41, when he says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? You see, he's saying, you're spending all this time pointing out faults, acting like you don't have any. You're rationalizing that they're the problem. But Jesus looks at you and he says, there's a big log in your eye. In a paraphrase of the, of the Nathan Edwards modern translation, Jesus is basically saying, shut up, you big fat sinner. Right? So this is where rationalization goes. And does rationalization end well? Is this going to make Onesimus' situation any better? I mean, I mean, look at where Onesimus is. He's, uh, he's not free. And he's in danger every day of being caught. This is the best life Onesimus is going to have so long as he sticks with rationalization. What about your rationalizations? Are they fixing that relationship? Are they making things healthier? Relationships remain broken when we rationalize and rationalizations keep us from God.
Here's the bottom line. Rationalizations cannot make us right. There's only one way that we can be made right. So like Onesimus, we must reject our rationalizations and go to step two, which is to receive his justification. Receive his justification. Now, I am one of the best rationalizers you'll ever meet. I was exceptional in high school debate. I have a, uh, a letter jacket that weighs about 50 pounds covered in medals for being the best arguer you've ever met. Uh, I can win an argument, no problem at all. Lots of men say that when they get married, they come to realize how wrong they are when their wife starts correcting them all the time. I've not had that experience. <laughs> I'm still right. But I'm a, a big rationalizer, and when I uh, went into college, I got really good at rationalizing my sins. I could convince myself that my sins were okay. They were victimless. They were consensual. They didn't matter. No one knew about them. I rationalized that I was okay. Right? And I think that reveals to us really what rationalizations are. They're deceits. Rationalizations are lies. If we are rationalizers, we are liars. That's the bottom line. And if we are rationalizers, then when we come to a verse like Romans 3.23, we have to say, that's me. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Simply, as a rationalizer, you fail. Right? You see, you will never rationalize yourself before God. You can't BS Him. It might be working for you today, but when you try and BS Him, He's going to turn into a fan. It's going to blow all over you. You cannot rationalize yourself before God. You are guilty. You need the gospel. That's what Paul explains to Onesimus. Yeah, I understand your situation. I understand why you ran away. I, I, I hate the institution of slavery, but you're not innocent. You fall short of the glory of God. You need forgiveness. You need grace. And that's what Onesimus received. He faced his sin, but then he was ex shared uh, or heard the story of Jesus, his cross and his resurrection, and he is told the gospel offers you forgiveness. And Onesimus receives that message. And what happened? It's right there in verse 10. Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Do, do you see the shocking thing about this? This runaway slave comes to a prison cell and is set free like that. Onesimus goes from a fugitive outsider to a full-fledged son of God by believing the gospel. Look, look at this. Onesimus was property. 
Do you know what the name Onesimus means literally? It means useful. Onesimus is named like a tool. People called Onesimus like you would call for a hammer. But in this jail cell, where he hears the gospel and believes it for the first time, Onesimus goes from being property to being the king's son. He goes from being the lowest of the low to being an heir of the kingdom. Imagine that you were Onesimus and Paul preached the gospel to you like he does in Galatians chapter 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Onesimus goes from guilty to forgiven, slave to son. This is the result of justification. And guess what? We are all Onesimuses. We are all fugitives. We are all slaves to sin. We all need to be justified. Have you received his justification? So again, as the chief rationalizer, I found myself basically thinking I could rationalize away the Bible. And I started by saying, well, I'm just going to read the Bible and I'm going to pick it apart. And I had read the Gospel of Mark uh, in, uh, uh, in November a long time ago. And I wasn't prepared for this at all, but I was taking a shower, just my routine that morning. And I was in, as I was in that shower, I felt all of my rationalizations just fall flat. And instead I felt a huge weight of conviction and guilt as all the things I rationalized were revealed to me as sin. And I thought I was going to be crushed in that shower. So I began to weep. And then, without really planning, I started praying. And I said, Jesus, forgive me. I'm a sinner. Become the Lord of my life. And I thank God that he brought me to himself in that shower. Because as I was praying, forgive me, I was being washed. The water was cleaning me. And I felt like I was being cleaned inside and out. And so I left that shower a new person. I left that shower a son of God. 
I left made new. That is justification. We have a picture for you. Justification is this amazing thing that God, by His grace, does. He takes all the things that you have rationalized, all the sins in your life, and He puts them upon His Son, Jesus, so that Jesus bears the penalty for all that you have done to disqualify you. And those are paid in full on the cross. But then at the same time, God gives you all the righteousness, all the perfection, the holiness, the beauty, and the the, the delight that the Father has for the Son. He puts that on you. So that when He looks at you, He doesn't see your sins. They are canceled. What He sees is a sinless, righteous, blameless child. He sees you in the gospel with the same delight that he sees Jesus because he's, you are covered with Jesus' righteousness. That is justification. When I take a shower every day now, I look at the drain and that's where my sins go. And I look at the spout and I see again and again the limitless forgiveness and love of God which washes me clean every day. That's justification. Have you received his justification? Paul describes it so beautifully, Romans 5, 1, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need to rationalize because Jesus gives you justification. So step one, reject your rationalization. Step two, receive his justification. But if we're going to make a Christ-honoring apology, we must go to step three, which is to repent by returning. Repent by returning. So Paul says in verse 12, I am sending him back to you. And we know that Onesimus is going back because he is the letter carrier. Why is I'm sorry so hard we we know it's hard because it's rare right the reason I'm sorry is so hard is because it requires us to humble ourselves it's degrading we feel like we're at a loss we're less than when we say I'm sorry We're now inferior. We're now looking up in this relationship. It's humiliating. There's kind of an image that I want you to think about when we think about uh, asking, saying, I'm sorry. So we feel like a full glass of water. And, uh, And that's what we are before we say the words, I'm sorry. We're whole, we're filled. And when we say the words, I'm sorry, it effectively pours out some of our sense of honor, sense of esteem. And so our glass becomes half full. And that emptiness hurts. That emptiness is a loss to us. And we hate that emptiness because that emptiness has a name. It's called shame. When we pour out the words, I'm sorry, we feel ashamed. 
And we don't like that feeling, so we rationalize. And really, because we know this experience so well, we ought to ask the question, should Onesimus go back to Philemon? I mean, he, he has a whole lot more than shame that he's at risk of. He's got a whole lot of loss. What if Philemon doesn't accept his apology? It could be very dangerous. It's a big risk. It could be a huge loss. And before we go on, I don't want to oversimplify the conflicts in your life. Some of you may have a situation that requires some pastoral counsel and guidance in how to go about reconciliation. If that is you, don't just rush out of here and go to somebody and say, I'm sorry if, if there's some things that need to be worked out. But I assume that lots of us probably don't have as complicated of a story as that. At any rate, I want to share that. Onesimus is returning. Do, do, you, do you see what a dramatic thing that is? Onesimus is going back to his slave owner. Slaves don't return to their slave owners in the first century unless they're wrapped in a chain. But there's no chain on Onesimus. He's walking back. He's carrying a letter. He's coming to Philemon of his own free will. What in the world leads Onesimus to such a dramatic act? This is the power of the gospel. Only the love of Jesus could bring Onesimus back on his own free will. You see, this is what justification does. It removes our fear of repentance. How does it do that? Justification takes away the shame of apologizing because it is constantly refilling us with the good news that you are my beloved child who's forgiven. Every time you say, I'm sorry, God fills you with the news that you are forgiven. And so when we are in the gospel, our image is different. It looks like this. This is you in the gospel. Every time you pour out, I'm sorry, there is all of God's grace and love and forgiveness pouring into you. There's no room for shame. Because his words, you are beloved, are rushing upon us as fast or faster than we can repent. This truth transforms us from rationalizers into reconcilers. It makes us want to take the gospel healing that we have received to the hurt we have caused. You see, Onesimus returns to Philemon because repentance is the overflow of justification. The evidence of true conversion is repentance. I mean, if you are a glass being filled endlessly with God's grace, you have to be overflowing. And you know that God's grace is endlessly filling you up because your life is overflowing in repentance. The evidence that you are justified is that you are living in repentance. 
The water's got to go somewhere, right? When we say the words, I'm sorry, it is a witness to Jesus in our life. Now, about 15 years ago, I worked as an engineer at a firm in the, in the area. And it was a typical engineering firm, very competitive, very dog-eat-dog. And you're always looking for a way to pull yourself up by pulling someone else down. At least that's the kind of culture that I felt like I was in. And I was managing a, a vendor, and the vendor made a mistake, and I caught him in it. Oh, and it was, it was delicious, right? So here's my opportunity. I can make myself look so good in front of all of my bosses by writing an email that just tears this guy apart and just, I mean, just rips him apart, chews him out, right? In public on an email. So he's in the email, and then I copy all these other people. I, I let him have it. I'm a debater, right? I had lots of things to say. I humiliated him. Was I a Christian at the time? Yeah, yeah, I was. And so about an hour later, I realized that that was not right. And so I call the guy up and I say to him, I'm sorry. And there was this long pause on the phone and then the guy speaks back to me and he says, excuse me, are you a Christian? And I said, yeah. And then he broke out in joy. He says, me too. And we had this conversation about our faith in the middle of our workplace. Now maybe this is a humbling thing to say, but in my two decades or so of being a Christian, the only act that has ever identified me as a Christian was when I said, I'm sorry. When I said, I'm sorry, I revealed that my cup is different than the world's cup. It's not shame. I am set free. And so the big question that I have for you is this. Do you want to be known in this world as a Christian? Or as the person who never says, I'm sorry? Do you want to be known in this world as a Christian? Or as the person who never says, I'm sorry? I can't promise you that every apology is going to end in reconciliation. I can't know that. But what I can assure you is every apology you make because you are a Christian honors Jesus. And what more, better reason to repent than that it makes Jesus happy? So how do we make a Christ-honoring apology? Reject your rationalizations, receive his justification, Repent by returning. Are you living in the good news of justification? The surest evidence that we are not centered in our justification 
is that we rationalize our sin rather than repent of it. Beloved, open your heart afresh to Jesus and his forgiveness. How? Go to Jesus with the words, I'm sorry. And confess your sins. Let the shower of his forgiveness and of his love remind you again that you are his beautiful child. Friend, this will put you under the endless fount of God's justification and that justification, that reconciliation of Christ will release your heart into the freedom of repentance. So, let's go back to the beginning. Who in your life needs to hear from you the words, I'm sorry. Go and be reconciled. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have fixed the deepest problem of our soul, that it is sinful and that we can do nothing in ourselves to justify it. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, who so perfectly lived out the righteousness you require and then so selflessly laid his life down as a sacrifice for our sins that by faith in him, we can be made forgiven and a son of God. I pray, Heavenly Father, that as we look at our lives, if there is a spirit of rationalization and not repentance in us, that you would bring us to the only source that can set us free, your justification. Father, there may be some here who have never experienced your justification. There may be some here who have walked away from your justification. To both of them I say, come, say to Jesus, I'm sorry. Confess your sins and let the washing water of the gospel set you free. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.